0: Rock and Roll's Greatest Failure Core Baby That's Really Me by John Otway. Read by John Otway. Core Baby That's Really Me. Chapter 31 The Toshiba advert was the start of a year of our star's life dominated by TV commercials was a really exciting year, said John. I never seemed to be off the box. People were always coming up to me and saying that they had seen me on telly last night. Paul Bradley had been right about the sort of parts that they could do. The parts he went up for and the parts he got were indeed all various halfwits and dimpats. And, in order of appearance, they were the wild, miming Saxon bass player the chap who had to ring a problem line because he was a secret lemonade drinker and then dances out of the phone box singing about it. However, it was decided John's voice was not quite right so Otway looks a bit more odd with a good singing voice coming out of his uncoordinated body. Next. The embarrassing relation at a wedding where a nice English boy is marrying into a mafia family. Otway walks up to the bride's father and says... Don, I can call you Don, can't I? What gets me is what your daughter sees in him. He's hardly Al Cappuccino, is he? Next, a lab technician whose job it is to count pieces of toast as they come out of a toaster. A job he cannot do without burning his fingers. And then finally, Dane Pack Bacon had John falling over a cliff. First in a tent, then in a camper van as he tries to cook his breakfast with the line when it comes to saving your skin, or saving your bacon. Apart from being on TV a lot, there are other things that I loved about doing these commercials. Two of them were filmed in Italy, and John loved the first-class flights, the good hotels, and especially being treated like a star. It was almost as good as the days of the Bentley, and a good deal better than the tours Morris organised. Every time Otway got one of these commercials, he would find out the first time it was due to be on TV and invite all his friends around for a party to watch him on the box. Les Gray was invited to one of these and remembers it vividly. Yeah, we all went round to Otway's flat for the party, which would have been quite good fun if John hadn't rushed around every quarter of an hour yelling, the adverts are on, the adverts are on, and we'd all have to gather around the telly to watch them. The trouble was, John had got the day wrong. We spent a few hours watching the adverts till we all got terribly bored and headed down the pub. Mind you, when the pub closed, we all had to go back and watch the video and check all the commercial breaks to see if he'd been on. Morris had put out a version of Middle of Winter, which John had recorded with Robin. And, as with all his recent records, it got nowhere. Now I'm an actor, I don't need a manager anymore, John told Morris one day. As attempting to organise John's career was far more work than reward, Morris most heartedly agreed. And Morris and John shook hands on it before Otway had a chance to change his mind. Yes, I suppose at that point I was doing well as an actor, says John. Such was the unanimity of this agreement, the two have remained firm friends ever since. "'I don't know if I'd ever want to manage him again, though,' says Morris. Apart from the times when John was acting in commercials, the gigging up and down the country continued. The little A40 with the roof rack had decided it was carrying a little too much weight and actually split in half three miles outside Aylesbury. So the rock-and-roll vehicle was upgraded to a Ford Cortina estate, Apart from this small improvement in travelling standards, life for the Otways tended to be four nights a week, traveling headbutting, and travelling again. John did manage to find himself a new agent for the music side of his career. Neil Smith managed to boost John's earnings from gigs considerably. With this money and the money from adverts, the mortgage got paid up to date, and he looked incredibly as if Otway was slowly getting back on his feet. The £30,000 debt was still there, but it had stopped growing. Chris France had not been idle, meanwhile. Possibly after driving John Spentley, he had decided that there may be money to be made out of the music business. He had started managing Warren Harry, the chap Otway had disqualified from the school talent competition. Warren was now writing songs, and Chris had sent some to Andy Hill, the producer of Buck's Fizz. Amongst them was the hit When We Were Young. Very soon, Chris was working from the Buck's Fizz offices in Piccadilly Circus. After the Bradford Football Club fire disaster, the Fizz office called John. A version of You'll Never Walk Alone was being recorded there on the same basis as the band-aid single. Buck's Fizz had been asked to help but were unable to. So Chris had suggested Otway. In this way, John got to join a band called The Crowd for a day, with such people as the Nolans, Bruce Forsyth and Jerry Marsden, and have a number one hit record. Halfway through 1986, Otway got his first real acting role, a large part in two episodes of William Tell, playing a character called Conrad, William's friend. When they were casting the part, they were looking for an amusing, awkward person to contrast a strong, agile William. But none proved amusing or awkward enough until the casting director, Debbie McWilliams, called in John for the part. The casting session was first thing in the morning and our disorganised hero had copied down the wrong address. On the day in question, Debbie who had known John and Patrice since the days of Verbal Diary, discovered John, two doors away from her Soho office, ringing a doorbell marked Jane, Model and French Lessons. After saying hello, she realised what he was doing, blushed and said, Oh, I'm terribly sorry. I shouldn't have really seen you here, should I? John explained that he was due to meet her and the director, not a model, and she whisked him away out of trouble. Otway oh, first thing in the morning is the perfect definition of the word awkward. Especially after he bangs his head on the way into the office and empties the whole contents of his shoulder bag on the floor whilst shaking hands with the director. It was given a part on the spot. So excited was everyone to find someone possessing Otway's unique talents that no one bothered to ask him if he could ride a horse. I thought it was funny, said John, because when I checked the script... There was this line for me to say while I was on a horse. It was only one short line, so I thought I'd just have to sit on top of the animal and say it. No problem. That one short scene would be the first scene to be shot, and always introduction to TV stardom. There was a long track leading up to a castle. Across this track, the director drew a line with a stick, and said to Conrad and William... OK, if you can just gallop up to here, not a really fast gallop, stop, do your lines and gallop off into distance, that will be great. After this, a very scared Otway was introduced to and placed upon Oscar, Conrad's horse. The bloody thing was a film stunt horse, remembers John with remarkable clarity. The beast knew how to act better than I did. As soon as the director yelled, roll cameras, it started getting excited. As he yelled, mark it, and it heard the click of the clapperboard, it was ready to go. On hearing the word action, it was off and galloping, expecting to leap hedges or ravines. Luckily, William's horse and Oscar knew each other, and so both stopped at the same time. I managed to get my line out before Oscar galloped away with me again and thought... Thank God that's over. It wasn't. As me and Oscar were caught and brought back, the director said, that was awful. You looked as if you were going to a funeral. We had to do that scene 14 times before we got it right. Stopping in the right place, doing the lines, and me looking happy enough. And my bum was so sore that for the whole two weeks we were filming, I had to sleep on my stomach. Otway had a stunt double for this programme. There was a lot of complicated sword fighting in one of the episodes, and this chap and William's double has spent a week carefully preparing and rehearsing a fight sequence. It was a complicated fight. A huge two-tonne swinging blade on a pendulum swishing to and fro between the two swordsmen in our battle to the death. John had already upset his double when they first met. His double, who had an obviously expensive designer haircut, had looked in horror at what a £3.50 barber job. And he realised he would have to have his crowning glory massacred in a similar manner. John watched the fight scene with interest before pointing out to his double that he was in fact left-handed. In the end, it turned out that our hero was not a natural swordsman, and in Otway's hand, a blade would have looked just as awkward if he had it in his right foot. So it was eventually agreed that the double could in fact fight with the two-tonne swinging blade with the sword in his right hand, and Conrad would have to stand and deliver his lines without his sword in his left. It's a shame that the British public never got to see Otway's awkward portrayal of Conrad. The series was taken off the air the week before John's episodes were to be shown. As far as we know, this is not so much because John was in them, but more that a series of serious crimes have been committed using crossbows. 1986 also found John another starring TV role in a children's programme called Supergran. It was the sort of part that was made for our star. He was such an obvious choice for the part that Time TV Television did not even need to audition him. The episode was called Supergran and the Chronic Crooner and no sooner had his agents sent up copies of his records than the part was his. The only problem John encountered with this part was the Birmingham accent that the chronic crooner was supposed to have. John doing accents was an amazing, speedy geography lesson. He could cover the whole of England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales in one sentence, recalls Tim Dowd, the director. Apart from this major hitch, John's performance as the chronic crooner was a piece of television magic. He had to do things like sing so badly out of tune that those listening were forced to block their ears. No 14 takes this time. On action, Otway performed his discordant singing to perfection. As part of the plot, he had to think what he was doing sounded perfectly all right. He had been doing this all his life and played that to perfection too. At the end of the show, the chronic crooner has the lines, The thing is, Super Granny super Smith. show business is all I know. I mean, what else can you do when you're useless, brainless and talentless, eh? It was a touching moment and probably John's finest piece of acting so far, with disturbing and uncanny parallels between the character he was playing and Otway himself.